So with that, please open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. It's interesting, Ray. You talked about a broken heart. Uh, because I know that life isn't perfect. You know, um, just to share with you something uh, that just took place uh, this morning. Uh, in the morning, Sunday mornings, I get up rather early <clears throat> to spend time with the Lord and go over uh, the message and uh, to tighten up any loose ends and do all that. And uh, while I was doing that, I um, just checked really fast because uh, on Facebook Messenger, there's a, there's a group with the family, and uh, my mom's in that message, and my Aunt Lisa and some others. Uh, and I saw that there was a message there, and, uh, and I read it. And uh, it was uh, my, my Aunt Norma, uh, she died last night, um, early in the morning. Uh, she had been battling cancer. And, uh, you know, talk about just uh, brokenness. Um, her husband, my, my uncle Alex, he died five years ago. Uh, their son, Alex, had died about a year and a half to two years previous to that, their only son. Uh, he was, um, he had problems, he had addictions, and uh, unfortunately he died with a needle in his arm. They found him in the bathroom, slumped over, OD. I believe my uncle died of a broken heart about a year, year and a half later. My uncle actually died on his knees. He, uh, he was found in, they, they live in Yuma, and five years ago, my uncle He was, uh, he was found in the back room on his knees. He went home to be with the Lord. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that one day I will see my precious uncle. He was such a good man. He was so gentle. He would, um, all the cousins, and I have thousands of cousins. We would, uh, we, he's our beloved Johano. And uh, he was one that was always playful with us. He was also, also one who just took interest in us, always. Um, he was also a father figure. He was very gentle in spirit, very gentle, very loving. Um, and my aunt battled cancer. And so she had overcome it a couple times. 
but this time it overcame her. I tell you this this morning, I don't always tell you stuff like this, but I, I tell you this morning because I, it, it pains me because I don't know if my Aunt Norma, if I'm going to see her again. She was um, a wonderful woman who was one that was very hospitable. Uh, when you went to her house, she would always feed you. You know, in fact, Isaac was reminding me of the last time we went to her house, and uh, we sat her uh, sat there in her small dining table right next to her kitchen, and uh, and she'll just like whip things up. I think she cooks for an army, and then she always has something to eat. So, so when you go, you spend some time with her. She'll sit you down, give you a cup of coffee, and just overfeed you. And so that's what I'm reminded of. But I remember sharing the gospel with her. And she gently, I don't know, I don't know if they, she gently did, but very directly just said, that's fine for you. As for me, I'm, I'm a, a staunch Catholic, and, uh, and I believe what I believe. So she really didn't want to hear what I had to say in regards to salvation and, uh, and the Lord. But I don't know. I really don't know. I'm hoping. I, I share this with you because I want you to know. I, I want you to be assured of your own salvation. Because there's a way that seems right to man. Think about this. This is in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. It leads to death. Eternal separation from the Father. That's no joke. That is not something to play with, not something to dismiss in ignorance, not wanting to hear exactly what the Lord has to speak to us and say to us and plead with us through his word. If you're watching on Facebook, go to the Word. The traditions of man can be skewed and twisted, but the Word of God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is sure. The traditions of man are not. Be careful who you listen to and who you place your faith in. Is it in man, in the religion of man, or is it in the, in the very word of God, in the faith and grace that we can come to know in Jesus Christ? That is my passion. That is my desire for each and every person to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so it is that I go through the whole counsel of God from cover to cover. I go from Genesis to Revelation and bring you just the unadulterated, untwisted, it's just the very word of God in plain sense, for you to be ministered to as the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. So <clears throat> I come to you this morning as a broken man, but I come to you with great passion for what I hold before me and before you, for it is the very word of God. So please come with me. Please incline your very heart in your ear to what the Lord has to say to you this morning. This morning, we're going to be 
going over Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 17. As you hold your place there, please go with me to Jude chapter 1. Jude. Jude, um, well, there's only one chapter, so chapter 1. And in verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, I read that to you because my intention always is to go through more than what we cover. If you know me, I like to cover as much as possible. And yet, I can relate with Jude, for it is that he was very eager to write about our common salvation, but it was the Lord's will that he write to appeal to them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For us this morning, although the title is Curious Athenians, and I wanted to uh, bring a message in regards to that in the text that we have before us, the Holy Spirit seemed to not allow that to happen and just cover a few verses. As I know Stephen gets my notes, he sees other points that we will cover next week. And so I had to write a little note to him and to my son as I forward my message, telling him, no, it's not a mistake. It's only this portion. And so it is that that I bring to you. We are going to see some curious Athenians. But more importantly, what we're going to see is how it is that Paul was provoked to witness. Paul was provoked to witness. Let's read back in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. We're going to read through 21, but we're going to cover just the first few verses. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Heavenly Father, we... Come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you for your word. Lord, you desire for us to respond to it. And so I pray that you would give us understanding. As we see what it was that Paul was provoked with, we'll see to the depth to which he was provoked and what it brought him to, to respond in a way that perhaps we can, Lord, be encouraged to do the same in our own lives, to witness but in that also to be disciplined, to discipline our tongue and the way we respond. 
And so we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so imagine this. A little recap of uh, Paul's second missionary trip. Paul was on his second missionary journey at this point. He encountered a woman of wealth and prestige in Philippi, Lydia is her name, whose heart got opened to pay attention to what Paul had to say, Paul's preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that she and her household were saved. He was also confronted by a demon-possessed girl, and this is all in Philippi, who was enslaved to make money by fortune-telling. And this was not for her own, her own benefit, but for the benefit of her handlers who made much money from her. This demon-possessed girl mocked Paul, Silas, and Timothy day in and day out until Paul was, as we read in Scripture, annoyed with her, turned around, and by the authority of Jesus Christ, uh, demanded that this demon-possessed girl would be set free. And she was set free from this demon that possessed her, and she no longer was empowered to make money for her handlers. Of course, this enraged her owners, and they falsely accused Paul and Silas of advocating an insurrection leading to the beating and jailing of Paul and Silas. We know the story as Paul and Silas were in jail singing hymns and praying that there was a great earthquake that shook the very foundations of the jail. The jail doors flung open, the shackles dropped to the floor, and it was at that moment that the jailer was about to kill himself, and Paul cried out to the jailer not to harm himself because they were all there. The jailer was moved by the witness of Paul and Silas and asked what he must do to be saved. And that night, he and his household were saved, and they were all baptized that very night. And after having been released from prison, Paul and Silas traveled to Thessalonica where he reasoned with the Thessalonians in the synagogue for three weeks until the jealous Jews came and forced Paul to flee from Thessalonica because of the threats against Jason, a new convert to Christianity and a dear friend of Paul's. In Berea, Paul again entered the Jewish synagogue where he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving how it was necessary for Jesus Christ to suffer and rise from the grave. The Bereans were considered by Paul to be a noble people because they received the word with great eagerness and examined what Paul said to confirm whether it was indeed true or not. But we know that the jealous Jews from Thessalonica learned that Paul and Silas were in Berea, proclaiming the gospel there also. And so they came to agitate and stir up the crowds, and Paul was sent off going to Athens, but leaving behind Silas and Timothy, at least until he sent for them. He, I imagine, initially was not sure of where he was going. Perhaps the Holy Spirit was leading him at that point, but he started going towards the coast and then went down south to Athens. And now Paul has arrived in Athens, which is 314 miles south of Berea. And so it was not a short journey. It was a long journey on foot to get from Berea to Athens. Athens, even though it was a shadow of its former glory, 
that it held in the 5th and 4th centuries BC, it was still known as the cultural and intellectual center of the Roman Empire. And this is exactly how we see Luke portray it in the writings here in the book of Acts. Paul was about to come in contact with these curious, cultured, and intellectual philosophers in Athens. And I remind you of all of this, all that Paul had encountered along his second missionary journey for you to note and personally aspire yourself to be prepared for any situation. If you take into account all of these things that I just brought to your attention, kind of briefly gave you an overview of these different encounters, that you yourself would aspire to be prepared for any situation or people that God divinely puts you before that brings you in contact with for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll see how it is that Paul deals with the people in Athens. Again, verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul had arrived in Athens, and as he waited for Silas and Timothy, it was thought that he wanted, he desired to wait for Paul in, or, uh, Timothy and Silas before he started engaging the people. But his spirit was provoked within him. And the reason his spirit was provoked because of one reason, and that was because the city was littered with idols. Idols. Little gods. Let me explain. Athens was known for its magnificent art and architecture. But this all portrayed the acts of the various gods and goddesses of the Greek pantheon. <clears throat> so it was, it was littered with all these gods, but this, this art and architecture, the locals knew that it was all to honor the gods of the Greek, of the Greek people. Many of the impressive buildings were temples, you see, to the pagan gods. Thus, Paul's spirit was provoked within him. Now, if we think of the word provoked, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we can think or even speak and say, you know, don't provoke me to anger or, you know, you have provoked me to anger. Um, and it seems like a, a word that we can kind of just overlook as something kind of not very strong. But the word that's used here to provoke Paul to this you know, is, is, I think it's too gentle of a word to use for what Paul was experiencing spiritually. If you consider the original word that was used, the word that Luke used was paroxino, from where we get our word paroxysm, which means a sudden attack or violent expression of a particular emotion or activity. What this tells us, Paul was provoked. But more importantly, we need to understand that Paul was infuriated. Think about this. 
he came into Athens, saw all of these idols all around, and he was shaken to his core. He was infuriated, having a sudden and violent feeling of opposition, of being attacked. This is interesting, taking into account the physical attacks that he had already encountered and experienced personally at the hands of so many other people. So why did he feel this way? Simply because of his encounter with the idols in Athens. Uh, after all, this was mostly a pagan city. In fact, it was a pagan city. So what's the big deal? Why is it that he felt like his spirit was in this war already and was being violently attacked by his environment? Let me ask you this. What's the last thing that really provoked you to anger? What's the last thing to, that, that infuriated you? Was it something that, uh, that you didn't agree with? Or was it something that offended God? Was it, was it something that was a sin against God? What's, what's the last thing that provoked you when it came to the Lord? Let me ask you this. What will get you to witness? What will get you to the point to where you tell others about Jesus Christ? What will get you past your fear? What will get you past your fear of being rejected? What do you see in others that drives you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Does anything? Has anything? Do you get angry at all toward the things that anger God? Any at all? Or are you tolerant? You, you sit idly while idolatry runs rampant around you. Do you ever feel compelled to confront something that is obviously opposed to God? Perhaps for Paul, his spirit was provoked because of who he loved and who loved him. And what he knew provoked the Lord to anger. Do you know what provokes the Lord to anger? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Paul knew this. Paul knew that God is a, a jealous God. Let's also consider what Paul did when his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city full of idols. Knowing this, and knowing that God yearns for us like a husband should over his wife, we should not be flippant about our relationship with our wife. We should be jealous for our wife. Just as we should be jealous for our children as parents. We should desire the love that they have ex expressed primarily and in, in first of all toward us and for them to really hate that which is of the world. That for our spouses that their, their eyes are for us, that their heart is for us. And so we yearn for them in that relationship to be just one with us. So Paul knew this. And so as Paul knew this, let us consider what Paul did when his spirit was provoked within him when he saw this city full of idols. You shall have no other gods before you. And yet here was this pantheon of Greek gods through and through. These temples, these buildings, this architecture, this art, that was all designed to worship the gods all around. Can I ask you to think about something right now? Are there gods all over in our city? Can you walk through Riverside and see temples to pagan gods? Would you say that when you go by certain large buildings that are open in the middle, seats all the way around, tens of thousands of seats with a little green piece of grass in the middle, that perhaps that could be a temple of the gods? A building filled with seats all the way around, in a little piece of wood in the middle with two hoops on each end, that that perhaps would be a temple to the gods? It's a shame when Christians know more about their favorite basketball players and teams than about God. It's a shame when you get more excited and will wear your colors proudly everywhere and even miss a Sunday and Wednesday and everything else for the sake of going to a football game or something else. We have a pantheon of gods here in the U.S. And there's so many other gods. What provokes you to anger? The Apostle Paul, he went into the local synagogue and reasoned with the Jews and with the God-fearing Greeks and it says here with people in the Agora, the famous marketplace in the hub of Athenian life. 
And it was in this marketplace that Paul got his most significant responses. It was in this place, in the marketplace. And again, I'm going to keep asking you, does anything move you as it pertains to what opposes God? What will you do about it? What should you do about it? I want to point out something very important here, because as we think about what infuriated the Apostle Paul, oftentimes when we're filled with anger, when we're filled with this fury at the side of what offends God, for us as human beings fallen in this flesh, we have an improper response. We want to just just really uh, overwhelm people and, and uh, talk at them. But something that I want to point out here is Paul's personal restraint. You see, Paul had this personal discipline. He didn't go out attacking everyone for the, their idol-worshiping acts, but rather reasoned with people, making every effort to explain who Jesus was and what he did about his life, about his death, about his burial, and about his resurrection. Paul did not attack people, but he opposed their ideas by revealing the truth about God and deliverance from the bondage and destruction of idolatry by explaining to them that there is only one God and the way to him is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul was exercising great personal restraint and discipline. I mean, for him, he could have preached condemnation. You're all going to hell. Repent and be saved, right? Is that true? It is true, right? But it matters how we communicate truth. Are you with me? It's important to practice some good personal discipline, restraint, that we would be led by the Holy Spirit. Remember that it's God's kindness that draws us to the Lord. It's His kindness, right? And so we should uh, be very deliberate in seeking the Lord's wisdom as to how to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul was exercising great personal restraint and discipline. Proverbs 21.23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth... And his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Oh, it would do us good, right? If we just think before we speak. Sometimes it, it, the words go out and it's too late. We want to bring him back. And too bad, they're already out. But whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle. His whole body. In other words, if you keep the tongue, you know, um, you know what a bridle is for a horse. Uh, the bit goes into its mouth, and uh, the, the mouth of a horse is as powerful and as big as the horse is. The mouth is very sensitive, very sensitive. And so, as as the bit goes in, and and it has the, the harness and the bridle, um, it. The, the rider is able to control wherever the horse is, uh, is to go, to the left, to the right. And if you know how to use spurs, they are to be used gently, and you train a horse by 
lightly poking him on the sides, and, and it's wonderful what you can do with a horse. A horse that could easily buck you off and trample you underfoot. You could control with this little thing in its mouth and with the right person on the saddle, guiding him with the bridle. And so it is for us, if we allow the Lord to place that bit in our mouths as his people, that bit is the, very, is the word of God. And it's made known and gives us understanding by his spirit. And as we subject ourselves to, he, to the one who is eager to lead and guide us, for his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, his yoke, he will lead us gently. All we need to do is listen for him. You know a stubborn horse? Oh, any of you go, uh, horseback ride? Horse ride? Yeah, ridden a horse? You ever been on a stubborn horse? Oh my goodness. It like, it frustrates you. You, you have them go to the right, go to the right, no, go to the right, go to the right, go to the right, right? And pretty soon their, their mouths are doing this. And, and so you have to train them a certain way so that they're sensitive. A, a good horse, a horse that's been trained really good, will... All you need to do, literally, sometimes all you have to do is lean, but it's just a gentle pull of the reins in a certain direction, and they're going in that direction. It would be wonderful if we got to that point with the Lord. As soon as he leaned, as soon as he just pulled the reins in a certain direction, that was all that was necessary. We would deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him at that very moment. Deny ourselves again, pick up our cross and follow him. Just being acutely aware of his spirit and his leading that we may go in that direction. Because that person will be a perfect man. In other words, mature. Mature in Christ. And also able to bridle his whole body. The very ways in which we respond and we act will be led and directed by the Lord. And it's truly a beautiful relationship. It's a relationship of peace, of hope, and tranquility with the Lord, even in the midst of trouble. Well, Paul not only kept his mouth, but with that he bridled his whole body. In other words, his actions. Control yourself and consider how you will respond to what angers you about what offends God. Even in the midst of being infuriated about what offends God, Think about your own response. Chill for a moment when you read something on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Relax, relax. Think long and hard. Subject yourself to the Lord. Pray and seek how it is that the Lord would have you respond or sometimes not respond. Okay? Sometimes it's better to leave it alone. It's not for you to do anything there. In fact, they might just be baiting you. How will you glorify God? What will be most effective? Now, in this also, I want to say that I'm not implying passivity or an excuse to cover sin 
or what opposes God with personal acts of tolerance or a disregard for sin intentionally. You know, love covers a multitude of sins, as it says in James, but you should read that whole part in James in context because it's not sweeping sins under the carpet, so to speak. It's dealing with it. That's what covers a multitude of sins. How will you act when angered by what opposes and offends God? That's something very important for us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 in verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, in verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they, do, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And so the Lord, as he spoke and he gave instructions to his disciples, warned them of what it was, what environment. It was going to be a hostile environment that they went into. And for them, he gave them instructions saying, hey, listen, you need to be sober-minded. You need to be clear-minded, in other words. And you need to be really aware of your surroundings. You need to be aware of your person. Because as I send you out as sheep among wolves, and Jesus, yes, he purposely did this. He, he sent them out in that environment. So be aware that we are in a hostile environment. It's, it's not, you know, everyone holding hands in world peace and singing Kumbaya. You know, it's not like that. And so it is that we ought to be prepared to go out and engage the world in which we live in. Because he was sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So he told them, hey, be as wise as a serpent. Well, what does that mean? Cunning as a serpent. It means that look for ways to which you can advance the gospel Ways in which you can deliver the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that has nothing but darkness, that you may shed light on the truth, that they may be aware that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. Look for ways. But hey, listen, also be as harmless as a dove. In other words, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive, don't do those things like the world, to get your own way. And when you do come across and you're persecuted and you come in, in, in contact, you are placed before those who demand an answer from you, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about that. Because he promised, I will give you the words to speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In other words, Jesus was preparing them to be in full control, to not freak out, 
to not be overwhelmed and anxious. A lot of people are popping pills right now and have been for a long time because uh, the world is too much. And Jesus is saying, I send you out into too much. Am I enough? Am I the strength that you need? Do you believe that I will give you the words to speak when you come into this, those situations and before people that perhaps are overwhelming to you, but they're not overwhelming to me? Do you believe that? Because we're in that place. Be in control of self. Think and ask God for the best way to respond to what opposes and offends him. And then act for the sake of shedding truth on what is false and for the purpose of leading people to salvation in Jesus Christ. Lastly, I want to point out who Paul first addressed. So back to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 17 says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and then the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul was angered by the rampant idolatry and then he was infuriated. And then where did he go? He went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Then the God-fearing Greeks, and then whoever would listen to him in the market. That's the order that we see here. First the synagogue, then the God-fearing people in Athens, and then he went to the Agora or the marketplace. Why did Paul address the people in this order and in this way? Because if the people who should know that God is a jealous God who does not share his glory with anything or anyone else, if these people understand and keep themselves from the worship of these idols and turn to God by faith through Jesus Christ, then they in turn could witness to others and there could be a great harvest there in Athens. Because God is a jealous God. He's jealous for you with a perfect and everlasting love. And he doesn't share his glory with any other God because there is no other God. You know, the people who say, well, you know, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. And so, you know, let's all live in peace and harmony. You know, we all get along. You see those bumper stickers. Um, what is this? Coexist. Coexist. It's a lie. I mean, it looks cute, but <clears throat> it's all a lie. Why is that? If, Richard, you were going down a path of destruction, literally, and at the end of that road there was a cliff, and you were blinded and couldn't see, and I, and I kept telling you, you know, hey, this path over here, that one leads to destruction and it'll lead you over the cliff. And you said, no, this is the path that I like. Personally, I, I enjoy it. I love this path. And I said, well, you know, to each his own. Eh. I'm on this narrow path, and I know it leads to God's glory. It, it leads to this glorious place that is wonderful, right? And God promises that. Would I be very loving toward him? Can't we just coexist? I, I wouldn't be a good friend, would I? If I didn't warn him. 
I didn't tell him that the only way that the blinder would be taken off of him was to come to faith in Jesus Christ. This man that had lived, died, was resurrected, and has risen, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and today intercedes for us. He wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? I would not be a loving friend. That's why the most loving thing that you can hear is Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. That we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus alone, not by works lest any man should boast. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, then we shall be saved. This is not judgment on the person. This is simply exposing and communicating the truth of salvation to anyone who is willing to listen. Those are the most loving words that you can speak to anyone. Warning, warning, you're going down a path of destruction. You see, this is the jealous God that I'm describing. He doesn't want you to, you know, it's like entertainment and, you know, a happy life and, you know, whatever it is that you find contentment in for a short period of time in this life oftentimes leads down a path of destruction. And God is jealous for you. He wants you to come to be reconciled unto Him through Jesus Christ, His Son. And He tells you over and over and over, come, walk with me, come, walk with me. How do I do that? Oh, have faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that He is the Son of God who died for your sins, rose from the grave and has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. Believe in Him. Walk with Him. He's jealous for you. He wants you to be saved and He wants you to know that hope. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't, do not obey the gospel of God? For you and I, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. For us to judge our own sins. Judge yourself first, lest you be ultimately judged by God. Paul was provoked to witness to the Jews, to the God-fearing Greeks, and anyone who would be willing to listen to him in the marketplace, and just the hub of the city. That's what he did. And did you see how frequently he went? Every day. He was waiting for Paul, and, or he was waiting for Timothy and Silas, but he couldn't wait. He was provoked. He was infuriated 
with all the idolatry in that city. And each day, he was there sharing the gospel with anyone who was willing to listen to the good news of Jesus Christ, to salvation. And so it is that we have covered <clears throat> so much in our study in the book of Acts. One, two verses. That is it. But in those two verses, we are challenged. I believe we are challenged deeply. Does anything move you as it pertains to what opposes God? And what will you do about it? And what should you do about it? I hope that as you look around and see the idolatry everywhere, this is one of them. They could be tools, but they could be idols too. Be hooked on that thing. That's why we uh, watched that one video. It's called uh, Digital Cocaine. Because two hours of entertainment on this equals one line literally of cocaine. The, the amount of dopamine that is released is equivalent to one line of cocaine. Imagine that. So, you know, someone said, well, why not just, well, I'll, I'll just cut back to just one hour of just entertainment. And he said, oh, so is a half line of cocaine okay? And that's true. Uh, these, this has been all covered by, uh, by scientific studies, and um, there's plenty of information and data on that. But the idols, they're all around us. What, what, does, any, does anything move you? Like sometimes we are so desensitized that nothing moves us. I hope that we, the church, gets to a point to where when we do see something, which, you know, just hang tight, as soon as you exit the church and are exposed to the world, uh, something should infuriate you. Something should get you to a point to where you're angered with all the idolatry and the things that are against God all around you. But when you are faced with that, what are you going to do about it? Don't sit idly. Just sitting by as a bystander, you need to get involved. The number of kids that, that have been killed, murdered through abortion is astounding since 1973. The things that are happening all around us, the corruption that we see is all evil in every level, in every place. What infuriates you? Come on, church, we, we, I, I think it's waking up. I think the church is waking up. And I, I hope to God that these things move you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ even more and stand on truth, that you would speak against these things in God's truth. And may we continue to expose people to salvation in Jesus Christ, that more hearts would be converted and changed and be made new for the sake of glorifying the Lord and seeing more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are to be moved to say something, to do something, and see others to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what I pray and hope for the church. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the example that we see here in the Apostle Paul.
as he entered the city and he saw all this idolatry, Lord, these, um, these buildings and the columns and, Lord, everything, just beautiful architecture, Lord, but it was all these, were these, these were all pagan temples, Lord, uh, glorifying deities, deities that were not deity at all. Lord, had they just logically thought about this, philosophically, Lord, thought about this, <clears throat> they would realize that their own hands, their own imaginations <clears throat> made something. And whenever something is made, Lord, it's uh, something that has less value than the maker, Lord. And yet they were worshiping that which was made with their hands. As he saw all of these things, Lord, it, it just deeply moved him, Lord, violently to the place where he demonstrated a disciplined response to this by going to, into the Jewish synagogue and reasoning with them and explaining to them how it is that Jesus Christ had to suffer, how it is that he had to die and resurrect from the grave. He went to the marketplace where tons of people were. And Lord, anyone who would listen to him, he would speak the same thing and explain to them the same thing. Telling them the good news of Jesus Christ and, and those God-fearing Greeks, Lord, he also talked to them. Lord, I pray that these things would move us. Lord, to have a zeal to do the work of an evangelist. To tell as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray for anyone here who, did, who has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They haven't surrendered their lives to you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. What does it take? Oh, nothing on our part, except for a confession. Because your word says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so I pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, the one who has come to forgive us of our sins by being the payment for our sins in full on the cross that today would be the day of salvation. They would surrender their hearts to him and have the hope of heaven. We thank you, Lord, for this moment, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.